Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. I want to talk a little bit today, and this is a little bit like last week. You know, three weeks ago now, I think it's three weeks ago now, we had kind of a Holy Ghost service. Uh, during praise and worship, there was an invitation to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then some words about healing and uh, uh, provision, and we just ended up spending a long time ministering to people, laying hands on people, and just uh, extended time of praise and worship, and it was great. And then over the course of the next week or so, had several questions come in about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, particular questions about speaking in tongues. And then last week, I did a sort of a overview. I say overview because a year and a half or so ago, I preached, a, I think, a 10-message series on the Holy Spirit where we looked at the gifts of the Spirit. We took a long a little more of an involved look at what it means to speak in tongues, what's the difference between the public utterance of tongues and praying in tongues, things like that. Uh, and I tried to cram a lot of that stuff into one message, just as kind of a refresher. And the response was amazing. Uh, people who said anything said they loved it, and if you hated it, thank you for keeping your mouth shut about that, because I just want to be encouraged. But I'm kind of doing something similar today uh, when we're talking about the difference between, uh, and I'm calling this like gifts, callings, and commands. Uh, what are you gifted to do versus what are you called to do versus what are you commanded to do because there are differences. And this kind of got triggered by, I think I saw originally this quote on your page and then I saw a, an article that had that, that quote in it. So great job at attribution. No, I'm kidding. It was... Uh, uh, it, it, How'd that go? Oh, uh, I think I have it in here somewhere. Evangelism is not a gift to some. It is a command to all. And that's just, there's, there's one example there. There are other things we're commanded to do and the other things that are gifts. And uh, I'm going to argue with that and support it at the same time. Let me already chase a rabbit here. Uh, there's a guy I, I follow on Facebook because he's a, he's a good Bible scholar and he posts several times a week, he'll post something that's really thought-provoking, either a statement, a challenge, a question, and there's always some great discussion. And he posted uh, something that said, are you a Calvinist? If you believe that the gift in Ephesians 2, uh, is it 2, 8, 2, 9, uh, is, is if you believe the gift is faith, then you are a Calvinist. And he's referring to the, to the passage in the Bible that says, by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Well, we know salvation is the gift of God. We know that grace is a gift of God. My interpretation of that verse is Paul is saying this, you're not saved by works, you're saved by grace. How do you get the grace to be saved? By faith. And even the faith you can't take credit for because God has given you faith. Now, that's biblical because it says God has given to each man a measure of faith. Depending on which version of the Bible you're reading, it says the measure of faith. So where does faith come from? Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But where does that original faith come from? I believe every man has been given enough faith. And it's not a matter of, well, if God gave everybody faith, 
And if we're saved by faith, or faith, saved by grace through faith, then everybody's going to get saved. No, human will is still involved. You've got the faith. Are you going to exercise it? Are you going to act on that faith? Uh, so anyway, there's different ways of looking at, at these things. And it does, nobody's going to go to hell because they disagreed with this guy's wording. And it's the same way, a little bit the same way when we're looking at something like, are you gifted or called to evangelize? Or to be an evangelist. And that's where we're going to eventually wind back up. I'm just going to take a little bit of a long way around. There's a lot of context for one major point in today's message, all right? So be patient with me. I mentioned uh, over the years that uh, I've mentioned this several times over the years that when it comes to the disciplines that are required to be an effective teacher, an effective pastor, uh, I find it much more, I, I gravitate much more toward time studying, reading, writing, thinking than I do praying. But that doesn't mean I don't pray. I do pray, and I know I must pray. And it's gotten easier over the years. It becomes much more natural, much less forced. But I recognized early on that I had to make myself spend that time in prayer. Because it wasn't as easy as just sitting down and opening a book and reading it, opening up a, the Bible and reading it and making notes and studying it. And prayer is necessary, especially if you're going to understand the Bible. Um, but I say that because, as I've also mentioned, there are people who have said, well, I know as a Christian I should read the Bible. I just don't like to read. And uh, you even read people's stuff. Again, used to be on even as far back as, uh, what was the big, what was the social media app, the original one before Facebook, MySpace? You know, there'd be a little thing, favorite books, and people say, reading is stupid. Uh, like, no, you're stupid. You know? <laughs> uh, if you don't like it, that's fine to say that. My whole point is, if you don't like to read, that's one thing. But to say I'm not going to do it because I don't like it is another. I hate to put somebody on the spot, uh, but, you know, I think I've done this recently. Easier to get uh, forgiveness than permission. Josh Peach has told me a number of times, reading ain't his bag. It's not his thing. Something he, he struggles with liking. There's other things he'd rather do with his free time. Has a hard time quieting his mind. And then you know, over the last several months, he's saying, hey, I was reading this, I was reading that. I'm like, what are you doing all this reading for? He says, said I don't like reading. Said I don't, it didn't say I don't read. Making himself read. Making himself study. Because he knows to do the things God calls him to do, he has to read, he has to study, he has to check these, these things out. That's what I admire, that attitude about anything, anything you know you were supposed to do, you can't, you, you can't ever afford to take the attitude, well, that's just, that's just not, not the way I'm built. As long as we, it's clear what we are commanded to do, our giftedness, our proclivities have to be separated from our obedience. Okay? Uh, I have preached a series of messages, uh, and Dad did too, over, over many years of pastoring, on the gifts. Most recently, as I mentioned, there was a series on the Holy Spirit, so we spent several weeks looking at the gifts. Um, and this is not that. This is a super quick recap. In, in, in uh, Romans we read about what's, what are often called the motivational gifts. 
Uh, these are given by the Father, and it's generally understood that they are a part of your makeup. Again, your proclivities, your traits, your talents. They're things that you are born with. Let's read this passage. We're going to read three, three passages about these, uh, these gifts. In Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 6, says this, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, we do not have time, and it's not my purpose to break these things down this morning. I'm only looking at one thing, again, just to give you a, a big pile of context. List these gifts here, gifts differing, and, and it lists these gifts. And then, keep that in mind, we, we go to 1 Corinthians, and we read about the spiritual gifts, or gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to read all of chapter 12, 13, and 14. No, we're not. I'm going to read one passage in chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, where it says this, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, I grant you that when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, we say, well, this was a manifestation of the gift of tongues, gift of interpretation, gift of prophecy, healing, miracles, whatever. It could be that people are more or less permanently endowed with these gifts. I've, it's, it's, I don't think I've ever been really comfortable with that position, though. It's like, my spiritual gift is the gift of tongues. I think it's much more, and this certainly, uh, I see this, this is the way I read this passage, and certainly my experience over the years and observation have borne this out. It's as the Spirit wills. God can use anybody at any time to manifest any gift depending on what is good for the body at that moment in that place. It's all about are you going to be willing to be used by the Holy Spirit at any moment, in any place, in any gift. And whatever you are willing to yield to, if you are willing to yield to the gift that the Holy Spirit desires to manifest, he will use you in that gift at that time. Does that make sense? Now, finally, in Ephesians chapter 4, we read about what we call the ministry gifts. These, Paul writes, are given by Jesus, and it says in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, I stopped there, but you should read that section today. Go home, mark it in your Bibles, go home, finish reading it, because it's one of the longest sentences in the Bible. It just goes on and on explaining what these gifts are for. But what's different about this list is that it's not quite appropriate to say, I have the gift of pastoring, or I have the gift of evangelism, because in this passage, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers themselves are the gifts that Jesus gives. 
It doesn't say he gave a pastoring gift to this person. He gave an evangelism gift to this person. No, he gave evangelists to men. He gave apostles to men. And I love preaching this passage because every time I preach it, I get to say this. I am God's gift to you. Walk around here like you're God's gift. I am God's gift. It says so right here in the Bible. Now, in order to present me as a gift to you, did he have to equip me and supply me with certain giftings? I believe so. Um, but it actually might be more of a case of taking somebody with certain motivational gifts, like back in Romans 12, and adding to that a calling, which is different from a gift. You might be a naturally gifted leader, but that doesn't mean you are called to be, for instance, an apostle or a pastor. You might have been used to bring forth a prophetic word, but it doesn't mean you are called to the office of a prophet. And that's not even the main point. Sometimes we focus on the unpleasant aspect, and I've seen plenty of it over the years, of people grasping for recognition uh, or authority, almost a jockeying for position. Let me display my gift, and you've got to notice me and put me in a position where I can do this. Uh, I think the problem we have today is on the other end of that, which is don't ask me to do that because that's not my calling. People not being willing to do it uh, because they don't perceive a particular gift or call uh, in their own lives. I can't teach. I can't preach. I can't evangelize. Let's look over these, this, gift in, this list in Romans 12 again. Having then gifts differing, I'm in Romans 12, 6 again. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches, in teaching. He who exhorts, in exhortation. He who gives, with liberality. He who leads, with diligence. He who shows mercy, with cheerfulness. Now, if you don't have... Now, gifts differing. Now, we look at the spiritual gifts, especially if you look at them like I do, meaning they're not permanently endowed. That means next week, God could have me deliver a prophetic word. The following week, he could have me flowing in miracles and healings, whatever, as long as I'm willing to be used. Here in Romans 12, we have gifts differing. And this is, again, more our personality traits that God has given us. He's made us differently, and we have strengths, and my strengths are different from yours. I don't have them all you don't have them all, right? And therefore, we see here that one person is gifted to give. Because it's right there talking about these gifts. Does that mean, hey, that's not my gift, so I don't have to give? Does anybody think it means that? Do you, are you exempt from everything the Bible says about tithes, offerings, giving, receiving, sowing, and reaping because that's not your motivational gift? Or is it a matter of we know and should, obviously, I mean, let me just tell you already, this is the correct answer. We are all obligated to give as the Spirit leads us 
to give in accordance with what we see in the Word. And we're all blessed. Uh, we're all promised that God will, will give back to us. But some people are gifted specially to give. And usually along with that gift is the ability to find money, get money, make money, generate income. And they've just been blessed with an extra generosity. And what does this do? It funds the work of the gospel. It motivates the, the rest of the body of Christ. It inspires us, right? doesn't need to be my gifting for me to give. But I appreciate the fact that there are people who are gifted in that way. If you don't have the gift of teaching, does that mean you're never going to teach your child to do anything? If you're a, a boss or a manager, but you're not, that I'm a gifted leader, I'm not a good teacher, but if it comes right down to it, are you not going to teach your employees to do a job correctly? Because you're not a gifted teacher? You can all teach somebody something, right? You have to know it first, but you can teach it. And it might come easier to a gifted teacher, but it doesn't mean you can't teach and shouldn't teach. And let me spend a minute on that because, again, the first thing is learning it. You don't have to be a math wizard to teach addition and subtraction. But you do know how to, add, you have to know how to add and subtract. And once you know how to do that, you can teach somebody else to add, uh, add and subtract. And there are some people who are really superb at what they do, uh, but perhaps find it a little more difficult to explain it to others. I had a chemistry teacher in high school who... Uh, was largely recognized as an excellent chemist, really knew his chemistry, but couldn't teach chemistry very well. There was this attitude, he was hard not to like. He wasn't at first. I found it really easy not to like him at first. But the more I got to know him, the more I liked him. Uh, but just watching his mannerisms in class, it was almost like this, I've known this so long and I've taught it so long, I can't believe you idiots don't already know what I know. This, you know, well, this is our first time taking this class. You've been teaching it for 30 years. Uh, it helps when you break it down into steps. You know, the Army has, uh, you know, for all of its flaws, I don't know, I'm assuming they still, call, they still call it the ASVAB, the Armed Service Vocational Aptitude Battery. What is the test you take when you go into the military? But it's a series of tests where it's not just to see how smart you are, it's how smart you are in different categories, and it's like they're supposed to be able to collate the data from these exams and say, because you excelled in this portion of the test, you should do this job in the Army or the military at large. Now, they can fudge that. You know, it's like if they need infantrymen, they're going to say, well, it just turns out your test indicates you'd be an excellent rifleman, and uh, that's where they're going to plug you in where they need you regardless. Don't want to be... Uh... Does that sound... Uh... Pessimistic or correct? Or both? Yeah, it's, it's right on. Okay. <laughs> uh, but if you, uh, everybody who goes to basic training gets NBC training, nuclear, biological, chemical warfare training. You go through the, you learn how to put on your protective mask, your gear, and everything like that. Everybody who goes through basic training gets basic rifle, rifle marksmanship. Doesn't mean everybody's going to have the same level of expertise. In fact, even just at the basic training level, some people are going to exhibit a particular talent for certain aspects of training. This guy turns out to be, uh, you know, he's got a, what's his name, the old uh, World War I, Sergeant York. 
you know, learned to shoot turkeys down on the farm, and so next thing he's blowing Germans' heads off in, in World War I because he just had a natural gift for it. And so, and it's good, and le good leaders will identify those strengths. But even if you're not super gifted at it, you find that if you are assigned, hey, look, can you teach a block of instruction on basic rifle marksmanship? Mm -hmm. And I've had to do that dozens of times. Anybody who's spent any time in the military has had to teach a class at one time or another. And there's some things that you are really good at and you find it easy to teach. But even if you're teaching it for the first time, you find out that just through the course of teaching it, breaking it down in those steps so that you can teach it, it gets easier and you understand it better. Uh, but again, the first step in teaching anything is to know it. And then you teach others to the best of your ability. That is a universal responsibility. You can't say, I'm not going to share what I know about this with you because, A, there are other people who know more than I do, or B, because there are other people who can teach it well. If I have information that will benefit you, I owe it to you to communicate that to you. Even if it's not the most information in the world, and even if I'm not the best communicator in the world. Here's another example. Well, let me, before I give that example, uh, there, there was another term, uh, and there is a, a particular term for this, a technical term. I learned this in my educational psychology class, uh, and maybe somebody shout it out if you're a, a psych major and you remember what this phenomenon is called. Uh, but the principle is this. You tip, there, there are geniuses, okay, and there are exceptions to every rule when it comes to this, but generally speaking, you can't teach an eight-year-old algebra. There's certain uh, synapses and, and brain wiring that, that simply aren't there yet. You have to be, usually around 12, all the stuff is there, it, the stuff is in place so that you can learn algebra. Are there prodigies? Absolutely. Uh, but generally speaking, it's safe to start teaching algebra at 11, certainly 12 years old, because they can then receive it. Doesn't matter how hard you try and how good a teacher you are, if the wiring isn't there, they can't learn algebra. On the flip side, just because somebody's 12 years old or 30 years old doesn't mean they automatically know algebra. Right? You have to be able, physically, literally able to learn, but you still have to be taught. Now, one more example from my life. When I was uh, at Parkland College, and so my, probably my, let's see, as a two-year college, so this was probably my fourth year there. And uh, no, I think it was in my uh, first or second year there. I took a class with Doug Canfield, with Jeff's brother. Uh, it was a gymnastics class. Shut up. <laughs> this was for a kinesiology credit. I probably needed one, you know. And I thought, well, this, he, hey, you want to take this class? Might be fun. You know, here I am. I'm you know, six foot four, lanky. I don't know if you've noticed this, but six foot four is a pretty tall for a gymnast. And I'm sure that's what you're all thinking when you were laughing. You couldn't have been a gymnast. You're too tall. <laughs> if I was six four, about 160 pounds back then, all right? But really, gymnast, six feet is extremely tall for a gymnast, for a these days. They're usually between five feet and five foot six. 
Anyway, I sign up for this class thinking, might be fun, might learn a thing or two. The teacher for this class, and this might mean something to one or two of you in here, but I'll explain it to you. The teacher for this class was a man named Yoshi Hayasaki. Yoshi Hayasaki was the coach for the men's varsity uh, uh, gymnastics team at the U of I. Yoshi Hayasaki was an Olympic coach. Yoshi Hayasaki was himself a world-class gymnast. What he was doing teaching a kinesiology credit to liberal arts majors at Parkland College, I don't know. But thank God I got this opportunity because Yoshi Hayasaki could teach gymnastics. I literally did not know how to do a proper forward roll when this class started. And that's the first thing you learn to do. Shut up. (laughs) Can you do a proper forward roll? Let me show you. No. no. (laughs) I did not know how to do a proper forward roll. And he had us do it. He told us, hey, I'm going to do it. He did one. He says, now you do it. And almost every one of us, what do we do? We put our head on the floor, and then we flopped over. He said, no, watch me. And he tucks his head under, so the first thing that hits is his shoulders, and you just literally roll, and you stand right up. First day of class, I'm, oh, this is amazing. By the end of that class, one semester, I could do a round-off back handspring. Round-off flip-flop. All right. No, I'm not going to. I was doing front handsprings in parking lots, in park. It was the easiest thing, but it started with learning how to do the, what? They, they, they teach you how to kip, you know, kip. And uh, you can probably kip real easy, can't you? You were born to kip, not now. They teach you how to kip, and they teach you how to do these things, and then, the, and then how to combine them. And I remember the, the thing that... It was exciting. The first time I did that round-off flip-flop, it was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is a thing of beauty. But where he really grabbed me, where it was, it was beautiful. From my perspective, anyway, watching the world go like this. Here's where he blew me away. When we were practicing our round-off, I had mastered the forward roll, I had mastered the kip, I had mastered... Uh, uh, I had done okay at a uh, cartwheel, but I couldn't, no matter how much energy I put into it, I couldn't get any punch from my round off. And uh, so he's having us practice these things, you know, you kind of pair up and watch each other. And find, he comes over to me and he says, how's it going? I said, coach, I'm I, I having a hard time with this round off. He said, do one. So I did it. And he says, simple, put your hand closer to your foot when you start. And I did that, kapow! I felt like I jumped backwards 20 feet as soon as my feet hit the ground. It just, that's why I was jumping out too far before I put my hands down. He said, no, man, when, you, when you're running, you put that hand down close to your foot as you can, and you will. And I did the spring that happened, just watching me once. He knew exactly what I was doing wrong. Because he, that's what he did. He broke these things down, and he could see. I, I love, I'm, I'm not a huge sports fan, but I'm always amazed listening to some of these play-by-play guys on the fly saying, here's what happened. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that happen. I can barely see it when you play it for the second time in slow motion, but you saw it in real time. Now, got to lay this on you. You're listening to me, and you're thinking, Scott, 
I can still see the athletic specimen you must have been 40 years ago. <laughs> I'll bet if you had studied with Yoshi Hayasaki longer, you could have been the next Bart Connors, Olga Corbett, Natalie Komenich. I'm showing my age here. You know who none of these people are, right? Who? Mary Lou Retton. Let me tell you what. I was never going to be a, an Olympic-class gymnast. It's not in my DNA. Even a Yoshi Hayasaki could not make me into an Olympic-level gymnast or, or anywhere near it. What he could do was take a complete non-gymnast and teach me to do some stuff that a non-gymnast couldn't do. Teach me to do some things a gymnast can do. Teach me, to do some, teach me to do gymnastics. I was old enough, I was strong enough, I was flexible enough to do these things, but I did not know how to do them. I could not on my own just decide, I'm going to teach myself to do a round-off flip-flop. But even with a master teacher, I was, never going, I was only ever going to rise to a certain level. Paul said this in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verse 1. He wrote this, Be imitators of God as dear children. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says this, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, first thing I want to point out is this. The diff there's a difference between the maturity level, the spiritual maturity level of the Christians in Ephesus and the Christians in Corinth. They were much more spiritually mature in Ephesus. So when Paul said to the Corinthians, follow me or imitate me as, just as I imitate Christ, there's two things you need to take away from that. Number one, you've got to be pretty confident in your spiritual walk, your relationship with Christ, your obedience, to be able to say that to anybody. You want to be like God? Imitate me. But Paul wasn't saying he was perfect. Paul knew, knew better than that, and he knew better than that better than anybody. He knew what his own struggles were. But he, he was able to see this. You're not spiritually mature enough to follow Christ on your own. I can say this to the Ephesians. They know what it means to imitate God. Meanwhile, I'm far enough along that you are safe imitating me until you're grown up, until you're as grown up as the Ephesians are. I can bring you to a certain point. To say, I'm not a gifted evangelist might be correct in one sense. You might not be a naturally talented evangelist. And you might not be called to walk in the office of an evangelist. You might not be called to do this occupationally. Most of you are not. But you are commanded to evangelize. Is there a gift of evangelism? Well, there's a gift of the evangelist. The evangelist is a gift, listen to this, to the body of Christ, to men. Because what are the gifts for? They are for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Remember, it's not 
for the equipping of the saints and for the work of the ministry. The gifts, the ministry gifts, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, teacher, are there to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So the evangelist, you say, what's the evangelist do? He gets people saved. He preaches the gospel. And if we're talking about the body of Christ, we're talking about people who are already saved, who have already heard the gospel. So how is that building up the body of Christ? It's equipping you to preach the gospel. You're not called to walk in the office or be an occupational evangelist, but you are called to evangelize. And the Yoshi Hayasakis of evangelism are there to equip us. When you encourage somebody, are you building them up? Yes, you are. That's one way of edifying somebody. Building somebody up is to encourage them. And when I listen to a Billy Graham, I feel encouraged. I feel equipped to evangelize. Do I listen to Billy Graham or any great evangelist and say, I can do that. I'm going to be the next Billy Graham. No. At the same time, the worst mistake we can make is listening to a great evangelist or a great teacher. Uh, anybody walking in any of these gifts and say, I'll never be that good. I'll never have the same impact as them. So what's the point? Pastor Mike and I were talking about this the other day. This, 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 it's this I don't know, glass half empty, half full kind of thing, or what? Uh, if God's called me, if he's commanded me to evangelize, what, you know, Billy Graham got this many millions of people saved. Reinhard Bonnke got millions of people saved. What kind of impact can I have compared to that? What uh, people have asked me for years, what's it like following in your dad's footsteps? Pastor Hagen talks about that. Can you imagine? And so we talk about what's it like living in the shadow of these great men, the Larry Millises, the Kenneth Hagans, the Billy Grahams. And the question is this, are we sitting in their shadows or are we standing on their shoulders? Because that's what it's about. Thanking God for what they have already done for the path that they have blazed, for the foundation they've laid, the knowledge that we have gained on their ministry, and then doing not necessarily bigger or better, but doing what God has called us to do with the equipment that he gave us through these other men and women of God down through the ages. I learn a little bit more about how to evangelize when I listen to an evangelist. Keep feeding on the word, not because I'm trying to be the next Keith Moore or anybody else, but because God put them in the body to equip me to do what he called me to do. And again, commanded you to do. Is there any question that God has commanded us to preach the gospel? Go ye all into the world. Well, if you're going to preach it, if you're going to obey God, you're going to preach the gospel. You are going to evangelize. And if you're going to evangelize, you better know what it is. 
It's one thing to know you're saved. It's another thing to say, I know how I'm saved, and therefore I know how to lead you to salvation. It was a heck of a thing the first time I was asked uh, to pray with somebody to give their life to Christ. We pray for it. We desire it. What if that opportunity happened to you today? What if a friend came and said, this is going to sound weird because I know we've only talked about it a couple times, but I think I'm ready to receive Christ. Can you lead me in a prayer? Are you confident you could do it right now? It's a harder question than you think it is if you haven't done it. But what a wonderful, there is nothing better than when that happens because that is the absolute center of what we are called to do. Let's prepare for that. Let's look at ourselves as evangelists, not walking in that office, not performing that occupation, but obeying that command. Because, why? Because we love Jesus, because we love people, and we know that Jesus loves people. We know that those people who need him, Jesus loves them and died for them just as surely as he loves you and died for you. Are you glad for that? Praise the worship team, you can be making your way up. Everybody else, go ahead and stand up. You may never be a chef, but you can learn to cook. You may never be a bodybuilder, but you can get in shape. You can get in better shape. You don't have to master something to get decent at it or even enjoy it. And what will happen is just getting a little better at it will cause you not to resent, but to appreciate those who have been truly gifted at it. I like music, but I appreciate a good guitar player way more because I've learned to play a little guitar. You learn how to do something a little bit and then you really appreciate what it took for somebody to get really, really good at it and it makes you appreciate those gifts that God has put in the body. It takes work, but the work is worth doing if we love people and it's worth doing now because Jesus is coming back. We should be excited about that but it really should also produce in us a sense of urgency. So let me close with a couple of invitations. One is, first of all, never want to take anything for granted. If you have personally never made Jesus Christ your Lord, I got great news for you today. You don't have to wait another minute. You don't have to wait another day. Today is your day. That's from the Bible too. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Every one of us needs to make that confession of faith. That is the clearest message in the Bible. That is the central message of the Bible, uh, the message of redemption, is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that the only way to be made right with God is for that price to be paid, that punishment to be served. And we can't do it. We cannot earn our way back to Him. And God made salvation available by giving his son. Jesus Christ, God the Son, took on flesh, became man, and suffered in our place. Took our punishment, died our death, and then rose again, was resurrected, and lives forevermore, and offers us that new life. He doesn't offer us a way to earn, us, earn our, our way back into God's good graces. He offers it as a gift and says, just believe in me that the work that needed to be done, I have done. But you've got to give me your old life. But I love my life. Well, then you're going to die. But if you will just lay your life down, 
I will give you a life that nobody can take away. That's why Paul could say, for me to live is Christ. It's no, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. To live is Christ and to die is gain. If you need to make that decision, we want to celebrate that decision with you. And I'm going to invite you here in just a minute. I'm going to pray a prayer. And when they start singing, just come up here and let me pray with you. Second is this, and you can come up here and let me pray with you for this as well, or you can receive that where you're standing. But think about what God was speaking to you during this message. And ask yourself, if I'm truly saved, why am I not more interested in getting other people saved? If I'm truly saved, why am I not obeying the command to preach the gospel? Doesn't mean you have to get a pulpit or a soapbox or anything out there and start screaming at people. It means sharing with the people in your sphere of influence. A conversation about what God has done in your life is preaching the gospel. Will you commit yourself to getting better at that today? Because if you will, God has committed himself to equipping you to being better. Equipping you to be better. You say, God, that's important to me. He says, good, it's important to me too. And he'll deposit some things in you. Whether it's boldness, whether it's insight, it, whatever it is you need to communicate the gospel more clearly, God will make available to you if we're committed uh, to doing that. So if you will make that recommitment this morning, if you'd like to do that, if you'd like me to pray with you, I'd be glad to. Uh, otherwise, uh, I would certainly encourage you to pray that. Let that be your heart's cry as we, uh, as we close with this song. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for everything you've made available to us, but also thank you for your clear commands. I ask your, uh, asking on my behalf and, and on behalf of anybody else who might be feeling the same way, Lord, for your forgiveness. And thank you for your patience as we have failed to passionately pursue souls failed to appreciate the awesome price you paid to save those around us and, and while we have uh, not participated in that process. So renew in us a fire for that. Grant us clarity and give us a new passion to obey you in the Great Commission and equip us to be the people you've called us to be. Father, it's also my prayer now, and I believe it's the prayer of every believer in this room, that if anybody does not know you as Father, has never come into that saving relationship through you, by the blood of Jesus, to you, with you, through the blood of Jesus Christ, that they would come to know you today, that you would reveal yourself to, the, uh, to them, grant them the wisdom to seize this opportunity, the boldness to seize it now. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you come. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, Make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.